Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we lift you up and we worship you as you are the one and only holy God. And it is you we acknowledge this morning. It's you that our hearts long for. So I pray that you would speak to us this morning, Lord. I pray that you would make us hungry to hear from you, Lord, that you would burden us to hear your voice this morning. So, Lord, I pray you speak to us with a clarity and a truth that we would see more of you in our lives and we'd see your influence operate in everything we do and say and think and feel, Lord, that it would all be about you. So we lift you up this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Welcome. If you'd like grab a seat. That would be great. <laughs> All right, I think we're, are we good? Well, okay, I'll keep going. Um, awesome. Well, I'm Sam. Welcome. If, you, if I haven't met you before, um, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad that you can um, be here this morning and those who are online, I don't know if you can hear me or not, but if you can, welcome to you as well. Uh, t- I'm really glad you uh, are here. Now, look, today we are journeying on this I Am series. And have you guys been enjoying the I Am series? Yes, that's the right response. Well done. Um, <laughs> points for you. Um, great series as we look at some of the, some of the themes that uh, Jesus has spoken into. And uh, these are really, really relevant and uh, important for us to get into. Now, um, does anyone enjoy physics? Does it, yeah, yeah, there's a few people that enjoy physics. Well, isn't that great? Because this morning we're all going to learn about physics. Um, I loved physics and it's one of my hobby horses, um, particularly in school, and I just loved looking at how things work. The why question, how do things operate? And um, I'm going to introduce you to a guy called Rudolf Clausius. Clausius? It's German. If you're German, you could probably pronounce that better. Clausius? I don't know. I'm probably ruining it. Sorry, Rudolf. Um, but he's got a physicist beard, and he's an interesting guy. But he is one of the founders of phys- physics and uh, modern, f- modern physics. And he came up with these series of understandings called the series of thermodynamics, or understanding of thermodynamics. And has anyone studied thermodynamics? All right, excellent. I'll get you guys up here to, to give this talk on my behalf. That'll be great. Um, but basically, this thermodynamics is great, and I love it because it basically helps us understand how the world works. And the second law of thermodynamics is one that really excites me. I hope it excites you this morning as it excites me. Um, but basically, the second law of thermodynamics is, is also called entropy. Uh, it basically says that a closed system, inside a closed system, things go towards chaos. Uh, without external input. That's basically the idea of entropy, the basic idea of the law of second uh, thermodynamics, the second law. So a great concept, you might say, what does that mean? Well, um, if you've got kids and um, you've been to their bedroom and um, you'll discover the law of second thermodynamics, um, entropy exists. I leave my kids alone in their room for five minutes and things descend into a state of disorder and chaos. So entropy really does exist. 
And uh, what, I, what I love about this idea of entropy is that we see it in everything in the world. We see things that, in a closed system, things generally left by themselves fall in a state of chaos. And I, I believe that this is one of, the, one of the significant insights into why we have a creator, designer, God, is entropy. Things left to their own devices fall apart and don't get better by themselves. It needs external input. And so we see that in creation, I see that in in everything that's made in the world, I see this existence that things left to their own devices don't get better, they fall apart. And so the evidence of a designer, creator, God is in entropy. This idea of things get better only when external input is applied. So you're following with me? So far, so good. All right, so we'll try not to spend the whole time talking about physics, otherwise um, that would excite me way too much. But uh, look, we do see entropy in, in society. We see, we see things start to, left to their own devices, fall apart. We, we start to see chaos. And entropy is this... When you hear the word entropy, I want you to think of chaos and disorder because that's what basically the word means. So we see entropy, we see chaos in the world today. If you don't believe me, turn on the news and you'll see entropy at work. You'll see uh, what's happening in America and it's... I, I don't understand what's happening over there. Maybe you can help me out with that. But there's a lot of things that that's just seem to be in a chaotic order. And uh, that is a part of life because we're inside a closed system. Now, I say we're inside a closed system because we are. Because Adam and Eve, they broke the connection with God. We, we were never designed to operate as a closed system. We were designed to operate with humanity and God connected, engaged, fellowship, walking together in the garden together. That was the design that we were created to be a part of. And uh, but Adam and Eve cut that line relationally with God. And so we started into this closed system because of them. And so, you know, um, if you see Adam and Eve when you get to heaven, give them a dirty eye. Like, oh, you know, what have you done? Um, but humanity itself has closed itself off from God. And that is the human problem. And it's a natural problem that we are all born into. We are relationally, spiritually fractured and disconnected from the lifeline that is God. Now, humanity has designed many ideas to try and connect up. So we're inside this disconnected world, and humanity has come up with lots of different interesting ideas to try and reach out of our bubble of disconnect and reach out for help, because we all sort of generally realise that we, we, we need help. Um, the, the latest statistics that I read, uh, 84% of the world generally accept that there's a God-based reality, that there's a spiritual reality that exists. So such a large percentage of the world continually look at this idea of entropy, that we're in a state of chaos, that there needs to be something outside to reach and take hold of, to give us guidance and to lead us. And that is, that is a human problem. Is that The human problem goes beyond that, and that's the problem is our heart. So all these ideas that humanity has come up with, with to try and fix this broken problem, they, they look like religion, they can sound like religions, um, but the re- idea of religion itself does not fix entropy. Religion does not fix the chaos. It does not fix the, the broken disorder in life. But there's a, there's a broken disorder that goes beyond the chaos of life, and it's actually my heart. So I have an entropy of my heart that, distant from God, I am in a state of chaos and disorder. 
I'm designed to walk with God. External input. All right, so I hope you're tracking with me so far because it's a, it's a big concept. But uh, all religions, as of in themselves, dance around the issue of entropy and the chaos of our heart. Uh, even if you uh, subscribe to atheism, uh, this belief that there is no God, you still find meaning in yourself. This entropy idea still exists, that you, you need to have something outside of yourself. Uh, you need, you, things do not exist in, the, in its own entirety. Uh, same with agnosticism, the belief that there is a God concept, but you don't really care, he's distant. It's no different. The chaos of your life is still there. And we're still, the problem is this, we are unable to fix our own state of chaos. We, we cannot fix it ourselves. Um, Jim Carrey once said, I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous and have everything that they ever dreamed of so that they, they would see it isn't the answer to anything. And I love that because it's like we, we try in vain to fix all these issues. We try to, to fix this, this brokenness that is operating and we simply cannot. We are powerless to really help um, it's a bit like if you broke a leg and you're rubbing Vicks on it, you know, to try and make it better. That's what religion does on itself, it is in, of, in of itself. Religion is like rubbing Vicks on a broken leg. It, it, it might numb the pain, like, like take a Panadol. It sort of helps us cope a little bit, but doesn't fix the core problem. The core problem is, is that our hearts are broken, are fractured, and are disconnected from God. And religion is an attempt to medicate our heart problem. Now, the Jewish faith, you know, God, God started to reveal himself. He started to reach into humanity through the Jewish people. And so he reached in and he started to reveal himself to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to the patriarchs. He revealed himself to them. And the, the Jewish faith started to, to put together and have a symbolic and ritual approach to engaging with God. So it's a limited relationship that started to exist, but it was based on symbolism and ritual. And uh, when I was over in Israel, I asked one of the Jewish guys that um, was at the, at the Western Whaling Wall, I asked him, I said, how, how is it that currently you um, deal with the issue of brokenness or sin in your life? But given that the temple is no longer, the destroyed in 73 AD, there's no temple, so how do the Jews of today uh, recover or understand or process sin? And he said, oh, they, they wash their hands in water and they just sort of symbolically it goes away. And I'm like, does that really, does washing your hands fix the brokenness of your heart? Does it fix the state of your heart? Does it, do you feel unburdened? Do you feel the freedom and the love of being forgiven by washing your hands? He's like, no. Okay, so it, the, the rituals that we have in life don't fix our scenario. Now, I'm going to take this back because some, some, some people believe that uh, the process of taking communion fixes our sin. It doesn't. It's a symbol of what Jesus has done. And so when we do communion, and I'm looking forward to doing communion again with you guys, but it's important we understand that the symbol of communion doesn't fix our standing with God. It's Jesus alone that fixes our standing with God. Communion is a celebration, it's a symbol, it's a reminder of that. But symbolism itself does not save, cannot save. And Jesus came into this world in a new and different way. See, the, the Jews were struggling to understand Jesus. When he came, he, Jesus was proclaiming this kingdom. And they could see the brokenness, they could see the entropy in the world, and they're like, they're crying out for a saviour. 
but they couldn't understand what Jesus was really on about. And uh, Jesus was telling him for three years, he was journeying with his disciples and, and leading them. And then he started to drop these little truth bombs on them. He's like, hey guys, I'm going. And he started to drop these bombs a little bit quicker and closer towards the end of the three years. And, and he started to, his last one was like, hey guys, I'm, I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. I'm going to go to be with the Father in heaven. And his disciples were distraught because their, their belief system, everything was on the person of Jesus. And, and like if you remove that person, everything falls apart. And so if you've got your Bibles, I trust you've got your Bibles, um, you turn to John 14, 1 to 4. And Jesus responds to the disciples who are a bit traumatized uh, by, this, by this announcement. And he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And good old Thomas, Thomas said to him, he said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? How can we know the way? And, and this is the cry of humanity today. How can we know the way? And I believe every person asks this question of, in some description, in some form. See, everyone acknowledges that there's chaos in the world today and everyone is looking for a way. And people turn to political leaders. They might turn to religious leaders. They might turn to someone to, to lead them out. But how do we know the way is the cry of humanity. That is what we genuinely, if we're honest, will be asking of ourselves. This closed system of humanity desperately needs external intervention. And we get Jesus' answers here. And in verse 6, Jesus answered simply this. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this, this, is, this is true, that if, if something is true, it is likely to offend. You almost can't say anything these days without offending or the risk of offending. So um, this statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I think is possibly the most offensive statement that has ever been spoken to humanity in all human history. You say, Sam, well, that's quite a big claim, and it is. But my point is, is this, our pride is offended by this claim more than any other statement. Because this statement is saying it is not about you, you cannot do it on your own, that Jesus is the way, not you. You cannot work yourself out, you can't dig yourself out of this predicament, you can't set yourself free from the state of entropy that you're in. Only an external, only Jesus can because he is both God and man. So he is outside of the system of entropy. Awesome. So I don't know, it's a very offensive for our pride. It shouldn't offend other, other things in our life. But, you know, some of us are given with a spiritual gift of offense. We offend people really well. Um, that's not what we're saying here. This is not a permission to offend people. This is saying that the message of Jesus is the most offensive thing for our world. And it, and it confronts people. You know, I can talk about God in politics. I can go into local school systems and public schools and talk about God. Most people don't have a problem. You mention Jesus, everything's different. 
Jesus, the message of Jesus is confronting, it's offensive because it's, it's a way. It's an exclusive, unique. So, and I want to talk about the uniqueness of Christ because often that gets lost. We talk about God in some sort of ethereal idea up there in the clouds, but Jesus grounds it. Jesus makes it real. Jesus is the reality of God. And this is the message that is confronting. It will offend your pride. It's almost designed to offend your pride because when it confronts your pride, you're willing to submit and be a part of his kingdom. It will offend. 1 Peter 2 uh, verse 7. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. Your independence and your pride is fighting this claim of Jesus in your life. It's fighting and it's our, our approach is what, what do we do with that? Are we willing to accept that Jesus is the way? Or is our pride going to keep fighting that no, we want to do our own way? Here's the reality. We cannot have two kings operating in our lives. If you want to see what happens when you have two kings operating in your lives, watch Biden and Trump. You've got two kings in America fighting for this presidency and you have chaos. And that's why we have so much chaos and disorder in our lives is because often we, we, are, we are fighting Jesus' reign in our rule and in our lives. We simply don't willingly accept him as king. Jesus and you, which one's going to be king? Because if, if, you, if you don't submit to Jesus, there's going to be the state of chaos in your lives. Now, there's this idea of uh, oxen, uh, of a yoke. Have you, has anyone seen an actual yoke? The Bible talks about us being yoked together with Jesus. And um, the yoke is like a wooden frame that goes over ox, oxen. And before an oxen can actually harvest or do the, the ground or plough the ground, these oxen, these two bulls, need to be broken in and how they break them in and how they used to break them in i don't know if they still do it today but they used to actually tie their tails together you think that's a bizarre thing to do but these 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 bulls would have their tails tied together really tightly and they're set into a paddock and uh, they had to fight they let they had to you know just run along eventually the stronger one would win and eventually you know if they both wanted to go their own direction there'd be a lot of pain it wouldn't hurt them like it wouldn't be long-term hurt but it would be painful for them and it'd be the stronger bull would win and once the stronger bull would win the other bull would follow along and so when they had had that those two oxen that were broken in they were able to be led they were able to be yoked put the yoke over them and they'll be able to be useful and to to be effective you and I in our lives, we need to be the weaker bull with Jesus. Jesus is the Lord and King. He will always win. So stop fighting him for rule of your life. Submit to him and enjoy the journey of him being the way, the truth and life in your life. Your independence, your sense of pride is really going to hurt you on your journey in life. You're not designed to operate as king in your life. Matthew eleven twenty nine twenty eight. 29, 28. Uh, so 20, 28 to 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for my soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
When we take hold of Jesus' yoke on our lives, we discover the freedom and joy and the rest that's in him, that we don't need to navigate our own way. We don't need to try and make life work. We don't need to try and and work through the entropy and disorder in our lives. We can simply submit to Jesus. Now, often we don't like to offend people. Am I right? Like we sort of generally try to avoid offending people, except for those rare few that enjoy it um, way too much. But we generally try to not offend people. And sometimes we water things down to avoid offending people. And we see that um, in the ecumenical movement, if you know much about that, about the churches and groups coming together to try and sort of all get along. And they do that by watering everything down. Basically, when you water everything down enough that the only thing that's left is this idea of some concept of love that's just there. Um, it doesn't, you can't even define it because as soon as you start defining it, it starts to offend people. But you can water th- truth claims down so much that they're no longer true. And I think we see that a lot today. Now, the Pope, the Pope Francis has recently said that there exists a reality of many religions. Some emerge from the culture, but they always look towards heaven and God. The Pope said. This is the idea of universalism, that all religions are the same. Can I say that this claim that Jesus is the way, truth, and life is, the, is clearly a different truth to what is being said here? Universalism said basically we're all kind of good, any religion's good, and it's all the sort of same. Jesus is uniquely, distinctly different in every single way. It doesn't leave us the option of trying to pretend that all religions are the same because they're not. They're so different. Now, we want to get to this idea that if you've got a pen and you've got a Bible, I would really encourage you to highlight this next bit because I think this is really cool. Um, this is, this is the key word is the. Now, as a kid, I used to struggle saying the. I used to say um, TH struggled with that. But um, the is the key word I want you to, to take ho- hold of today because Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He is not a way, a truth, a life. So it's a very, very different. Jesus is saying he is unique and exclusive claim to truth and direction in life. And it can be an uncomfortable truth. Sometimes the exclusive, exclusivity is an uncomfortable thing and can offend. Uh, the, if you want to know how you can offend someone, um, there's a tip not to, not to do, but if you want to offend someone at a wedding, I've been to a number of weddings recently, particularly if you're a lady, uh, dress in a white dress you know, alongside the bride, you know, you're guaranteed to offend uh, not just the bride, but the entire wedding party. Because let's be honest, the whole wedding is about the bride. Like, sorry if you're the bridegroom. Like, it's not about you at all. Let's be honest. It's all about the bride. It's her day. And um, this is the reality that it's about the bride. It's exclusive. And uh, you can offend people with that. Jesus is the exclusive way of reconnecting, of of breaking free from this process of entropy. It's all about Jesus because of Jesus. So let's not dance around the truth or water that down anymore. Jesus is more than just the truth. He is the source of truth. You cannot be. He cannot. He can. You cannot be. 
Jesus is singularly able, exclusively unique in ending the entropy of our human heart. He's not wanting to help you move your fridge. He's wanting to help you move your heart. He's wanting to change. He's not just in tweaking your lifestyle. He's in radically transforming who you are, your, your, your way you think, your approach, your understanding of him. Because basically, if your heart changes, everything else in your life changes. That is what Jesus is about. He is the way of change in your life. To claim he is the only truth now is nothing new. There's been lots of people that have claimed to be the truth. But to claim that he is the source of truth is unique and distinct, and you can actually test him. See, every, every other idea of truth, you could sort of like disagree or engage or like, yeah, you can argue with it. When Jesus says he is the source of truth, you can engage with that. You can experience the truth of Jesus in your life today and going forward. And once you've experienced the truth of life through him, uh, you never doubt it. Again, it's, it's a reality that's there. Now, Jesus is the, it's significant that Jesus' claim is the source of truth and life and purpose in, in our lives. He is the exclusive way all other purposes in life will ultimately leave you wanting, empty, and wandering from, goal, from one goal to the next. Purpose in life is in him, through him, because of him. Jesus is the exclusive truth. He is the source of all truth. All other truths are limited and incomplete. Jesus is God, is the starting platform for you to understand this world. As we walk with him, the lens from which we see this world starts to change. Now, Jesus is also the exclusive and unique life. He is the source of life. Jesus gives both a spiritual longevity and a quality of living in and through him. This is that Zoe, the resurrected life. This Greek word Zoe is this resurrected life that is only through Jesus that we can experience. Jesus is the way to restore relationship with our God, to break the cycle of entropy in our hearts, in our families and in our country and in our world. During the American Civil War, as a result of a family tragedy, a soldier was granted permission to seek a hearing from the president. He wanted to request exemption from military service. However, when he arrived at the White House, he was refused entry and sent away. He went and sat in a nearby park. A young boy came across him and remarked how unhappy he looked. The soldier found himself telling the young boy everything. Eventually, the boy said, Come with me. He led the dejected soldier back to the White House. They went around the back. None of the guards stopped them. Even the generals and high-ranking government officials stood to attention and let them pass through. The soldier was amazed. Finally, they came to the presidential office. Without knocking, the young boy opened the door and walked straight in. Abraham Lincoln, standing there, turned from his conversation with the Secretary of State and said, What can I do for you, Tad? Tad said, Dad, the soldier needs to talk to you. The soldier has access to the President through the Son. And we have access to God through the Son of Jesus in such a profound way. He is the only way, truth, and life. And that should change how we think, how we engage. We'd actually go to him. If we truly believe that he is the way, we would go to him as the way. 
The, the first group of Christians that started to follow Jesus weren't called Christians. They didn't come later until Constantine, I believe. But the first Christians were called the way or followers of the way. And so they simply followed the way, the way of Jesus. And for us today, I would encourage us to take that simplicity of the gospel, that Jesus is the way, and let that soak into your lives. And we are not an institution. We are a movement. We are people who simply follow Jesus. He is the way. That is what we're called. We're called to be a passionate movement of followers who love Jesus and serve and submit to him. That is the truth. Fantastic. We stop trying our own way and surrender to our own way. You know, we can enter into his way only when we surrender our own way. We can't keep fighting our own desires, our wants and rights when we surrender to God and to, when we surrender to Jesus as our Lord and King. This is not just a once-off. This is like a continual heart attitude of surrender. We start to discover the joy in him. We discover the assurance in him, the freedom that's in him, that I don't need to keep striving to try and beat the cycle of entropy that I'm in. I don't need to try to become something. Simply the completed work of Christ was finished on the cross. My sins, past, present and future are all done away with. They are all paid for because of Jesus. And we can simply rest in the knowledge of who he is and what he's done. There is no more striving left in Christ. We can rest in him. And as we rest in him, he'll change our heart. He'll change our desires and we want to be more like him. We'll pursue, we want to pursue a life of holiness because of what God is doing in and through our lives. Let us surrender to his way. Let's not surrender to anything else other than Jesus in our lives. Hebrews 10, 19-25 Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. We have confidence to enter into the place of Jesus. We have a, a, a newer living way has opened up, and we can draw near to God with a sincere and full heart, with the assurance that faith brings, and that he has cleansed us from a guilty conscience. This is the work of Jesus in our lives. This is what following him and submitting to him, putting his yoke on our shoulders, means for us that we live in true freedom. Because even though you might think stepping outside of the yoke of Christ, you have freedom, you don't. You have bondage, you are bound by sin. But when you enter into Jesus, you are set free from all the things that control you. The lies over your life, over who you are, uh, you're set free from them. And you can claim that your identity in Christ when you walk with him. Jesus is the way. In, in closing, I'm just going to ask the, the team up. But Jesus is the way, so I don't need to find my own way. It is finished is what Jesus cried on the cross. And he's saying it is finished, the, the striving, the, the trying to end the cycle of entropy in my life. It is finished because of Jesus. I no longer need to strive to try to be something I'm not. I can simply rest in knowing that I am in Jesus.
What an amazing truth for us to lay hold of today. Verse 23 of Hebrews 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deed, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know this chaos and entropy that happens in our life, the disorder in our life? May that push you into the arms of Jesus as the source of life, the source of purpose in your life. He is everything. He is wanting to be everything for you. And that he is more than just a lifestyle choice. He is the source of all life, of all truth and all purpose today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that you love us so much that you didn't leave us by ourselves. You didn't leave us in this closed system, but you stretched out your hand and said, I want to save you. You chose to redeem and restore and rescue us, Lord. Thank you. And Lord, I pray our hearts would respond to that message, that we would respond and simply say yes, yes to you. Yes, you, we want you to be my Lord and Saviour. I want you to be my Lord and King. I'm no longer going to strive on my own. I'm going to submit and I'm going to humble my pride to say yes to you, to your Lordship in my life. May that be a decision, not just today, but tomorrow and going forward. I simply say yes to you. Less of me, more of you in my life, Lord. May that be a heart attitude as we go forward. Thank you that you reign and rule. In Jesus' precious name.